Hello, it's Painter Sharpless, and you're listening to the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. Today, a chat with Blake Lovell. You can hear him in a number of places, but you can also, and most importantly, hear him every day with Locked On SEC. That's right. He does this every day. In all seriousness, Blake does a good job. He joins me on ESPN 106.7 Weekly, and we get into it here on a number of things related to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, the SEC at large. We discuss the quarterbacks, what's going on at Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher, K.J. Costello comes up. I mean, what don't we get into, really, when you think about it? So if you have not already, check out Blake Lovell. He's at the Blake Lovell on Twitter. I'm at Paint Sharpless since you asked. And be sure, if you're not already, to also check out the Locked On SEC podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I'm done promoting things. Let's dive in. But first, a word from the folks who make this podcast possible. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And right now I am joined by the one, the only, Blake Lovell. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Painter. Good to talk to you as always. Yes, so you stay busy, and it's not just with Locked On SEC, which you can get every day. Where can people find you, follow you, and keep up with all the things you're doing, Blake? Yeah, you said Locked On SEC and then uh, everything else kind of, uh, I guess, on Twitter right now, uh, Blake Lovell, and uh, just kind of all over the place, still uh, trying to work hard as we all are at this point, so... Yeah, uh, a little bit of cause for some creativity, but I would urge everyone who's listening to this to check out what Blake does every day with Locked On SEC. It will be right up your alley. Speaking of broadly, the conference had the idea kicked around. It was rejected, unsurprisingly. Uh, I have my thoughts, and I will give them momentarily, but your thoughts on what was a very short kicking around of playing football earlier in the summer with all this madness going on, like I said, it pretty quickly went away. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to, honestly, what we just talked about a moment ago. I think it's, everybody's trying to create it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I get it. Like, like, we're all, I think at this point, still getting a little antsy. And, you know, it hasn't even been that long. But um, I think, I really do. Like, I just, I feel like it's, you know, there are going to be ideas like this that probably continue to come out over the next several months because people are looking at different options. And, you know, I don't blame anyone for, for looking at different scenarios. I think that's that's probably a good thing at this point because that's what's going to, you know, determine what is the better scenarios of all these options. And so um, I think putting those out there is actually not a bad idea. Uh, it's just some of them are probably going to be more realistic than others. And um, at this point, you know, like we said, it's just I think we're we're at a point where there are lots of scenarios that are being worked through, and I think we're going to hear about a lot of them. Uh, but ultimately, as we continue to say, none of us have any idea how long this thing is going to play out. And until we know that, and we're never probably going to exactly know that, like we're not going to be able to say, okay, this is a specific date that everything's going to get back to normal. Um, and, you know, until we can maybe get some idea of a time frame. I just don't think there's any way to, to put any of these actions into place at this point. 
uh, because we just don't know when things are going to get back to normal. Yeah, I think a few things that you said there make a lot of sense. And one of the big ones is not pretending like any one person has all the answers. We are dealing with an unprecedented situation. And so it's just going to take some patience. And while that idea was kicked around and ridiculed probably a little bit more than it should have been, I'm with you. Like, there's nothing wrong with putting that out there. I think some of the problems, though, uh, simply having time, preparedness, the safety, heat, inconvenience. Like, there's a lot of reasons why that may not logistically work. But I am with you. Uh, We're still at square one. So uh, who intrigues you most, Blake? Uh, this this offseason is it a team is it a particular coach is there a player that's been on your mind a lot who is it that has your attention this offseason for me I think you have to group certain ones together and I legitimately and I'm not just saying this because you know I'm talking to you but I think it's all the teams with first year head coaches because we know that this, like you just said like this is an unprecedented situation for every coach so for first year coaches that, you know, obviously in the state of Mississippi, you look at you've got Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach, and then, you know, you go around the horn, and there are several others. Um, how how do you get that that culture built? And that's, you know, we, we laugh sometimes because, you know, you see all the running jokes about, you know, building the foundation and, and implementing the culture and all that and press conferences. and um, But that's what coaches want to do. And, and how do you do that if you're not able to meet with your team as a whole? And I think that's what's going to make it so fascinating with these first-year coaches at all these different spots is that that's such an important part. I mean, that is the first step for everyone. It's not coming in and saying, okay, we got to get this playbook in immediately. It's first of all figuring out, okay, what are the things that, the you know, the foundations of success that we have to put in before we even get into the playbook? And so I think that's going to be very important. And I think it's, you know, this same word we keep using, it's creativity. I mean, I think coaches are going to have to be creative here over the next several months, um, not knowing when the season's going to start, if the season's going to happen. Um, but they've still got to approach it as if it is. And I think that's where you have to see these guys get creative and figure out, okay, maybe it's not just me, you know, coming in as a new coach, but I've got new players. Uh, you know, the entire team is new to, to these new coaches. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see from all these first-year coaches, and obviously some of them are in better spots than others. Um, you know, Arkansas, obviously, Sam Pittman's got a little bit more of a, an overhaul to do, you know, than someone like Mike Leach, probably, or Lane Kiffin. But um, I still think all of them are in the same spot where, you know, everyone's dealing with the same thing, but I think it's especially harder for these first-year coaches. And worth mentioning in the same vein, uh, Chris Lowe at ESPN, among others, reporting that the SEC League office notified it's 14 schools, virtual instruction and video conferencing would begin Monday. So depending on when you're listening to that, that is today or Monday of this week. Um, I assume you're like me and think that's a no brainer and that some limited time is, you know, good for the players and the coaches who otherwise have not had their typical springs, Blake. Yeah. Again, that's what we're saying. I mean, I I think it was, and it may have been John Calipari mentioned it last week. He was saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk to my players every day, but they're telling us, you know, don't talk about sports. Like, don't talk about basketball or, or whatever sport you're coaching. And so, uh, you know, I think he could tell he was sort of frustrated with that. And, um, you know, it's a matter of, hey, they, these guys have to be able to do something. Uh, if you're going to try to meet with your team virtually or using Zoom or whatever, um, you know, and I think this is this is where it sort of starts. I mean, they've got to be able to do something. And, and that's what we said. It goes back to – you know, I think it's interesting because, 
you know, in, in the certain, certain sense, like not every coach is the same, but like we know going into like spring practice or something, like every coach is essentially trying to do the same thing in terms of what they're, they're trying to do with their players. You know, again, going back to the playbook, implementing new things. Uh, but like, I think in this scenario, like every coach is probably going to have a different approach to this situation. And I think that's, what's going to be interesting is to see, you know, who are the coaches that maybe get the most out of a situation like this, because, you know, we, we don't, that's not on any of their resumes. Like Nick Saban may have all these national championships, but like, you know, he doesn't have zoom on his resume. And so um, how that happens with all these guys, I think that's going to be sort of interesting to see how that plays out. When did zoom get so popular? Was that already a really normal thing? And I just wasn't aware of it until this pandemic hit, because it seems like now people are just using it for their friends, but I'm guessing that's been a part of the business world and I've just been ignorant. I, I don't know because someone asked me I, maybe during college basketball season when I was doing some interviews and someone asked me to use Zoom and I had no idea what it was Same. and I was like what are you talking what is Zoom um, <laughs> but no you see everyone now like I think it was I was looking at some NFL stuff and like John Lynch of the the Forty Niners like he was saying you know I wish I would have bought stock in Zoom a long time ago because of course that's what all the NFL teams get ready for the draft and everything that's how they're communicating with players and scouting. Um, so apparently, you know, Zoom, we should have bought stock in that a long time ago as well. Yeah, I don't know what made that better than Skype along the way, but uh, apparently so. So what do you think about Lane Kiffin in year one? Because you just mentioned the challenge first-year coaches have. Well, he's one of them. More clarity. Sorry to cut you off. I just sort of broadly threw out his name. Worst case, best case scenario. I'll try and narrow that up for you a little bit. <laughs> no, I mean, I get it. It's interesting is it, to even think about, like, what are, like, at this point, like, what is the, the, the scenario that you could see play out, knowing that this is such an important time for someone like Lane Giffen? Like, I mean, this is the time, usually, we'd be saying, okay, he needs to get this accomplished, he needs to get that accomplished, and, and to get everything, you know, in place. But yet, how is he going to do it right now? And so I think it, it does. And again, I mean, they, look, they've got some talent on the roster. I know I've listened to you talk about it. Um, you know, there are some obvious areas of need, and there are some things you're going to have to address. I don't think recruiting is going to be a problem, you know, with him there. Um, it's certainly a different scenario right now trying to, to recruit. Um, but, you know, as we said, it won't always be this way. But I don't think that's going to be an issue with them. Um, and really, to be honest, like, I don't know what the expectations are in this first season because I, I don't know how much this preparation part of it throws everything off yeah like it almost feels as if it gives them a mulligan like if you have a bad season in year one it's like what do you want me to do like it was already not a good team yeah well and that's what we talk about like you know and obviously football coaching changes happen you know before this started but like even look at like basketball and you know the coaching changes and and you wonder like i I think in basketball there's not going to be as many coaching changes because it's a basically, even if, you know, again, college basketball may go on as normal, may not. We don't know. Uh, but think about trying to make a coaching change right now. And I think that's where, like, in football, you know, whereas, like, in college basketball, there's everyone, this is usually that time where we're going into the Final Four. This is where you have all those backroom meetings, uh, you know, for coaches trying to, to figure out where they're going to go and all this other stuff. Um, and now, you know, for football, it's all about practice and getting ready for the season. And so it is, and that's, that's why, like, I don't know. Like, it, it's really hard to try to figure out, you know, because, too, position battles. Let's think about that. Like, this is spring practice. It's when you have these position battles. Like, well, who's going to win this position? 
Like, you don't know. And I think, listen, someone brought up a good point. And I think it's, you know, and I don't remember who it was. Maybe even Kermit Davis, actually, talking to him. Um, you know, this is what's going to separate some of these guys individually. Uh, you may have a guy coming back that you think is going to be a starter. And if he doesn't, you know, work very hard during this time because, you know, you're not under the normal sort of routines and practice or, or working with strength coaches or any time. I mean, they're communicating, sure, but you're not in there with them. Um, you know, what about the guy maybe that's, that's a couple steps back and he outworks the other guy and all of a sudden everybody gets back on the field in four to five months or something and, you know, he's, he's much better. Like, I think that it's so fascinating, and that's why I think there are so many unknowns, especially, you know, for Lane Tiffin and, like we said, with all these first-year coaches. Is Will Muschamp done after this season? Uh, I actually don't think so, um, and I know that's uh, maybe a different answer than some people think, but I also think it goes back to what we just said. I mean, I think it's very – I think it could be one of those seasons. And, look, it's SEC football, like, and I'm not saying this in a – in a bad way, but like even in a situation like this, if there's a short season, um, you know, if teams get very little practice, I still think in SEC football, like if, if people want to make moves, they're going to make moves. It's not going to be a situation where, uh, as we know, like I just don't think you're going to see any of these places just hold back based on this entire situation. But you're right, um, as it stands, this is so much harder to conduct. Like it just seems hard to get people on the same page in our current climate. Yeah, no, it does. And I, and I think it is like, it's just a matter of, and that's why I think with him. And that's the more I think about it is, I mean, I get it. Like you would understand, like if they really struggled, um, you know, if they finished, I don't know, I don't even know what the, the number would be like, <laughs> how many games are going to be played or if any games are going to be played. But let's say they don't um, make a bowl game, which seems plausible. Yeah. I think probably in that scenario, like you said, I mean, I think that, I mean, because that, that is like, that's the realistic, scenario i think every year for for everyone now in the sec right i mean even you well, know, they gotta play clemson yeah like i think it's i mean it's i don't know and so i that's a tough one because like i said i, I could see the scenario where it happens just because you know i still don't think that it's going to be just you know teams are just going to ignore everything and say well even if we you know won four games or something we wouldn't take an action if we thought it was necessary uh, but at the same time i'm like well you know, I don't even know what the season's going to look like, right. so it's probably hard to know exactly for sure. You know, that's given me more thought about, like, teams, does it give coaches the benefit of the doubt or not? Because I think you could make an argument for some NBA coaches where if their season gets shortened or cut off and there are no playoffs, like, yeah. it may save some jobs because it stopped things from going completely off the edge, even if you could tell it wasn't going toward a good place. And from where we are right now, I don't know if a shortened season gives any coaches a benefit or puts them at a disadvantage. Speaking of Mississippi coaches in their first year, what do you think about Leach and K.J. Costello? There's been some hype about the transfer from Stanford. Do you think that's going to work out? Well, I mean, <laughs> Mike Leach, right? I mean, I feel like he'll find a way to make it work, um, you know, because it is someone that he has familiarity with, and, and I think it's something that, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know. Like, we talk about benefit of the doubt. I feel like you give him the benefit of the doubt here. And, you know, I think it's a situation where we've seen it so many times over the years where no matter where he's been at, he, he usually finds a way to make it work with someone like that. And, you know, again, though, or is it, you know, for them getting on the same page? Um, you know, I guess from, from a quarterback 
to a coaching perspective, I mean, you know, yes, they can use all these tools and talk about virtual things and all that. Um, but, you know, in, in Mike Leach's offense, you know, how does that work? And, and what, you know, what are the things that you really need to know? And if he can grasp those things, uh, you feel like that he would probably be able to step in right away and, and they'd have to feel good about where they're at. Um, but, but Mike Leach is one of those guys, and I, and I know you talked about it too. I mean, it's his book. I mean, look at his track record. Um, you know, look at what he's been able to accomplish on the offensive side of the ball. And um, you, you just seem to always have that confidence, even with the unknown, mm. uh, that he's going to find a way for it to, to work out. And at this point, I would probably look at the same here and say, you know, they may have some, some deficiencies in other areas. Uh, but, I mean, they're, they're probably going to find a way to get on the same page and at least have the offense uh, clicking at some point, even if it's not right away. What I'm most curious to see is how patient can the MSU fans be because I don't think he's going to get them past some level that they were at under Dan Mullen, but I think it could be about that good. But I think this year with some of the talent they have, like this may be as good as it gets for the next two or three years for them, which I know sounds yeah. weird, but I think that it's going to take a while for this to stick, and they've actually got – relative to what I think they'll have under his recruiting for the next two seasons, fine talent, decent talent. So, like, if Mississippi State fans can be patient, I don't know if they will, by year five or six, this may be consistent enough where it's like a fun team that wins eight games and beats someone they shouldn't every year. And I don't know if that's going to be good enough, but I don't think Mississippi State's going to do any better. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, patience is is not uh... – the top quality, I think, in, in SEC football, especially <laughs> because uh, we know. I mean, it's well, it's just those two schools. Like, look at Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead. This is such a weird yeah. state. Yeah, no, I know. It's um, and that's what I'm saying. I don't, you know, I get it. though, I guess um, because the expectations. If you, I mean, look, legitimately, every single school, even Vanderbilt. Like, I know Vanderbilt. You know, me being a national, they used to be the one that everybody would go back to and say, oh. You know, Vanderbilt's always going to be that team that's at the bottom. Well, you know, Bobby Johnson came in, did pretty good. Then James Franklin, you know, took it to another level. And I think, you know, even in a place like that, like once you prove that you can have this type of success, even if it's not sustained success year in and year out, that automatically raises the expectations. And so you think about what Dan Mullen did there, um, you know, automatically, no matter what the situation is, the year before or the year after, like, that's going to be the, the expectation every year. And I think you're going to always have, you know, because people have something to look back on, right? They have to look back and say, well, we were here at this, we were here at one point. Why can't we get back there? And I think that's the same question every single fan base is asking, I mean, asking even like in Arkansas or Missouri or places like that. You know, they remember the, where they used to be. And it's like, well, why can't we be there now? And we have to make the moves to be able to do that. And I think Mike Leach, look, I mean, you know, we were laughing about everything that went on and potentially him being the Tennessee coach, you know, several years ago, and he would have taken that job. Um, you know, he's someone that I think was going to find his way to the SEC at some point, and I, I'm very fascinated to see how it plays out. But I do think he's going to do a good job there. Like you said, it may not happen this year. Or, you know, they may actually do well this year, but it just may not be something where you go out and if they won, I don't know, let's say eight or nine games this year. I don't know that you can just expect that every single year for the next ten years. Uh, just because, you know, there are going to be some dips, especially in the SEC because it's so competitive, uh, but he's probably going to need a little time to build other areas too. Yeah, the weird thing is, you know, depending on who their quarterback is over the next three seasons, like I think you could see them have a decent enough year one and then take a step back in the next two seasons. So 
Um, let me put your feet to the fire here since I've peppered you with a bunch of questions about Mississippi State and Ole Miss and the status of their coaches. Which fan base gets worn out or at least begins uh, – they're less patient with their coach. Uh, is it going to be Lane Kiffin or is it going to be Mike Leach? Oh, boy. I will, <laughs> I will say probably – I would say probably um, Mississippi State. Okay. Are you playing to the crowd? Are you playing to the crowd? Or is... I, no, I'm not. I just, I, well, and that's the thing, too. It's like when you compare the two coaches, like I would expect both of them to be very successful. Like I really do, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like I don't I don't know how much of a separation there's actually going to be between those two. Um, you know, maybe both, both programs are about at the same level, let's say four or five years from now. Um, but – I think maybe, like you said, because of where Mississippi State um, maybe was at, and I think most recently, uh, because look, Dan, I mean, it hasn't been that long since Dan Mullen's been gone there, and and so you know, we we kind of know where they were at, um, and I think because and look, both of them are high-profile hires, but I think you know, for Mississippi State, let's say Mike Leach comes in there and. Uh, you know, the offense uh, starts clicking or something in year one, year two, all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're scoring 24 points a game versus 38 points a game or something. Um, you know, I think they're, you know, it could be frustrating. And I think there there could be more frustration than maybe with that. And because of the fact, well, I don't know, I guess both guys are very, they're going to tell it like it is. But I think, you know, Mike Leach more so. Uh, maybe than, than Lane Kiffin in a certain sense, but I just I'll wonder if like his personality. State. I think you're that's that I'm I'm with you because I I think his personality will at some point like it can be endearing, but it can be a lot, especially when Mississippi State's losing games. Yeah. Like, are they going to want to hear jokes about pirates? Like, and I'm just that's a little yeah. bit of a cheap shot because like I know that's just a stereotype of Leach, but I yeah. I do wonder also if based on the way they recruit. Leach is going to have a talent deficiency after a couple of years compared to Kiffin. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. After a few seasons, Kiffin can piece together some top 15 classes. I don't see that being the case in Starkville. Okay, speaking of talent, two best SEC quarterbacks are who going into this season? Oh, man. That's a, gosh, that's a tough question. It's tough because we got so many new faces, right? Like we've been able to lean on Tua and Fromm and some of those guys for a couple of years. Even I don't think a lot of people thought he was one of the best in the league, but there was some familiarity with Felipe Franks and like he's not back. So there's the uncertainty of yeah. Kyle Trask and Bo Nix. They are nine and three on the year, but like his numbers were actually <laughs> uninspiring. And Mac Jones, I think, is the starter, but you know, a lot of people think it's going to be Bryce Young, although this pandemic has not and and not to like you know make light of it but for people like Bryce Young who are going to come in early this has really hurt their chances yeah I think you know and I'll say this I think I would put Danny Newman in that category like I don't know if it's one or two um and and I know it's sort of you know and that's too you know it's look it's a new situation it's a new offense um you know what how does that adjust you know in some Georgia like how does how do they adjust to that with everything that's going on? And I think that's, that's understandable to think about that. But I think in terms of talent, I think he, he's probably in that, that top two. Um, gosh, and then it's like, how do you pick from the other words? You mentioned, like, Trask. I mean, I, you know, you could put him in there probably. Um, I think he's probably in the top three, maybe, I guess, when you think about it. Oh, gosh, that's, that's, that's like we could do an entire podcast probably just on this question. <laughs> well, the Jamie Newman thing's interesting because it's like, 
all right, his talent's going to go up, but he's going to be playing a lot better teams. And he'll have a mostly new offensive line, like not just new because he's there and doesn't know them well yet, but because they lost a lot on the line. Um, And also they'll have a great defense. So like he doesn't have to be phenomenal, but their offense is going to have to move into this century for them to, I think, get over the hump. I'm with you. There's no clear cut answer, I think, because we like I'm not convinced it's Kellen Mond. I don't think Kellen Mond has sold me at this point that he's going to be a top three quarterback in the league. And that leads me to this question, Blake. And unless I cut you off and didn't give you an opportunity to really answer, uh, are you buying Jimbo Fisher? Are you buying what A&M and Kellen Mond have? And if I didn't let you finish your answer for the previous question, feel free to put a bow on that. I was gonna. I was thinking about Kellen Mond, and I was like, I, I'm. I'm sort of there. Like, I mean, he's look. He's one of the top five. Like, I think that, and it's like probably just a matter of like, you know, what's your confidence level in terms of where they're going to be at. And and I was just thinking about it. And I'll get to Jimbo in a second, but like, I don't know. Like, would you put like KJ Costello in this like top two or three? I mean, like, I think it's realistic to think that because of the offense. And so. I don't know. That, that's a good question. We, we need to revisit that one Perfect. because I think that's one that, that we could have a lot of fun with. But um, for a and you know, they, it's a team that, look, they, they have the talent. Like, I don't think there's really any doubt about that. Like, they, they're going to just be very talented. And the thing is, you know, we can say that about a lot of SEC teams, but if Kellen Mond is kind of who we, we think he can be and who he has been, he's shown the potential – um, I think they can get there, and I think they are going to be really, really good. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, just I, I think seeing if they can take that ne- next step, and that's what separates, you know, the SEC teams that are there every single year, uh, like Alabama, you know, like Georgia's been now. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I guess Auburn's kind of, they've been up and down, but, um, you know, I, I think that's what separates them is you've got to be able to sustain it every year, and I think for A&M, you know, this is kind of that year where maybe if they can be as good as we think they can be, can they do that for the next three years in a row and then build that up and keep going with it? Um, if Jimbo can, can get some momentum out of this season, I think it's possible. Uh, but, man, I don't know. Like, they're another one, too. It's probably like, you know, they're one of those teams that I think they're going to have to prove it for a lot of people maybe just to completely buy it at this point. That's where I am, man. Like, until Jimbo Fisher can prove that – he can beat teams with comparable talent to him, or maybe even he's at a talent deficiency and that he can out scheme people, which maybe, you know, I, you might be in the camp that thinks he can do that. But I feel like when he was in the ACC, like once Clemson got their act together, he was sort of out of tricks. And especially when he didn't have Jameis on his team, that just went downhill. Yeah. And there's few, if any other schools that have the resources that Texas A&M does, but I'd, I'm not there yet, and that's why you should listen to the Locked On SEC podcast with Blake Lovell every day. Remind everybody where they can find that, Blake. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Like you said, Locked On SEC, any podcast after you. Um, you know, lots of great stuff on the way. We've been pretty much dedicating March to basketball because, uh, you know, I want basketball fans to, to have their fix, but uh, we'll start probably mixing it up a bit, getting more into football here as we move forward. Uh, because, again, usually this is when we – we would be completely invested uh, in football after, you know, the Final Four in basketball. And, um, you know, it's just it's going to be interesting, I guess, you know, it all plays out and moving forward. It's been weird, but I've enjoyed hanging out with you today, and I know we will do it again soon. He's at the Blake Level on Twitter. Can't thank you enough for your time. Look forward to talking again soon, my friend. 
Thanks, Shannon.